The Queen of England has died and gone to reward, and her son, King Charles III, is the King of England. Is he a globalist antichrist? Is he a false king? Perhaps most importantly, is he truly the head of a world religion? Sometimes when we think of heads of world religions, we think of the Dalai Lama, the Buddhist, the Pope, with the Catholic Church. But indeed, King Charles III is not just the King of England. He is the supreme head, the supreme governor of a religious body, the Church of England, as established and founded by, you remember in high school, right? King Henry VIII and his quest for a male heir and a, and a whole bunch of wives. We're not going to do the history lesson today, but we are going to talk about the contemporary situation with King Charles III as it relates to globalism, the Great Reset, certain health issues of the last two years, and his position vis-a-vis that. you got to be careful with the words you use, but that reset, that medical emergency, and what role he plays as the supreme head and governor of a religious community, the Church of England. We're going to look at a bit of the history of that, and we'll play a video of King Charles III at uh, talking about globalism, the health crisis of the last two years, if you catch my drift. So that's today's show. Uh, before we get started, we'll say the Our Father, we'll pray our prayer together, the Pater Noster in Latin. And before we do, just a reminder, give this video your thumbs up, like it, share it on Facebook and Twitter right now. Hit that share button below, share it on Facebook. Let's get more people uh, here in the chat. And then if you're new, my name is Dr. Taylor Marshall. Please subscribe. You can do that over there in the right corner. Hit the subscribe button and the bell for more notifications. Let's get going. Okay, oremos, let us pray. In nomine Patris et Fidei, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen duum, veniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, succut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et nenos in ducas in tentationem, se libera nos amala. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Now, it might be to your interest to know that before I was a Catholic layman, I was an Anglican priest, an Anglican clergyman in the tradition of the Church of England. I once upon a time was Reverend Taylor Marshall or Father Taylor Marshall, and I believed at some point in my life that the Anglican tradition, the Church of England, of which Charles III is now the Supreme Governor, was the best expression of Christianity. Kind of amazes me right now at this moment to actually think of that. Why did I think Anglicanism or the Church of England was the best? Well, at the time, I believed that you want to be Catholic, but you also want the best of Protestantism. And so the Church of England, if you've watched anything of the ceremonies of the royal weddings, if you've watched anything going on with the 
um, funeral arrangements, the processions. The English have retained that medieval Catholic sense of pomp, dignity, decorum, liturgy. They've retained that, although they are a Protestant sect. They believe in justification by faith alone, according to 39 articles. They reject transubstantiation and the holy sacrifice of the Mass on paper, officially. So they are Protestant, but then they have liturgy. They've retained the names bishop, priest, and deacon. Um, part of their liturgy is carried over from the medieval liturgies, in particular the Sarum Rite, which comes from Salisbury. So, you know, me being raised in Texas, you know, I didn't want to be Catholic. My thinking was, and worship Mary and Our Lady Guadalupe and Infant of Prague and all these oddities. I can still have all these trappings that are Catholic and sound Catholic, and I can still be a Protestant. And that's why I was an Anglican or an Episcopalian. And that's why I eventually was ordained as an Anglican priest. But I renounced all that and I became a Catholic. So it's with great interest that I've watched everything going on now with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, may she rest in peace, and then the transferal to King Charles III. And, you know, it's interesting that Queen Elizabeth II was able to navigate from basically the period of the early 1900s, pre-World War II, to navigate into the modern world and yet keep the office of queen to capture the attention of the world. I mean, people are still talking about William and Harry and Kate and Meghan and their children, and it's in the tabloids. And, you know, for people who bang on our chest, democracy, democracy, we love this sort of Disney mythology of princesses and princes and kings and all that. But... Is it authentic? That's today's question. Is it legitimate? Is it, here's the big word, Catholic? Is it Christian? Is what Queen Elizabeth, and especially now King Charles III, legitimate? Or is it just a 500-year-old version of this big guy right here, King Henry VIII? Is it a show? You'll remember that King Henry VIII, here on the screen, was given the title Defensor Fidei, Defender of the Faith, because he resisted Martin Luther. And yet, just a few years later, he resisted and rejected the papacy, the Catholic Church, and declared himself head of the Church of England, making himself a leader of a world religion that was not traditional Christianity. I want to run a video here of King Charles III. And maybe, and I'm going to do some questions towards the end, but maybe you're watching me and you're like, come on, Taylor, like the queen died, let's mourn. I agree with that. Um, this is an uncomfortable topic, but I think we as Catholics need to really reassess what is our relationship with the English monarchy after 500 years Let me run this clip. I've got it queued up here. This is King Charles III. And he's talking about 
how now is the opportune time. This, this clip's a little bit old. It's from 2020. So this is right in the midst of the health crisis of 2020. And he's talking about how we need to seize this moment, capture this moment for a transformation. And uh, here we go. Ready? Hopefully the sound's up. We have a golden opportunity to seize something good from this crisis. Okay, so golden opportunity to seize something good. Let's hear him out. Its unprecedented shockwaves may well make people more receptive to big visions of change. And global crises like pandemics and climate change know no borders and highlight just how interdependent we are as one people sharing one planet. Okay, so I'm going to pause here. This is a recurring theme you see at Davos, uh, that you see at World Economic Forum, which I think this speech uh, is taken from. Uh, it's the push to globalism. It's interesting that although he he's not yet in this clip, but he becomes, as of this past week, uh, the King of England, that he's not advocating for the United Kingdom, he's advocating for the globe. And I, I think that's fine. I mean, we're Catholics, we're universal. Our church, the kingdom of God is literally in every single nation on earth for the salvation of each and every human. Each and every person born and living now, Christ died for them and wills their salvation. That's our Catholic belief. But the way that billionaires, politicians, and what I call the technocrats, these are the people who own technology, own social media, and in that way kind of own the stream of conscience, consciousness of humanity, should they be the ones governing, regulating, policing this globalist structure that they're trying to establish. So let's listen to King Charles III some more here. This is again, this is before he becomes king, but I assume his thoughts are still the same today as they were when this video was made. Past month or so, despite the ongoing crisis, I've been encouraged to see the growing calls for a green recovery. We, start, we need only look to the United Nations Secretary General, to the IMF, uh, the EU, the Petersburg Climate Dialogue, the Canadian government, the COP26 universities network, and business leaders around the world to see this. Okay, so this is really important. I'm going to rewind it for you, but he says we have to look to the IMF, World Economic Forum. Interestingly, he says we have to look to the Canadian government for guidance on how to do this. Let me ask you, if you've been watching the news or world events of the last two years, do you really want the Canadian government to be the template for what happens on planet Earth? Listen to the litany that Charles III gives. Ready? Replay. Here it goes. We need only look to the United Nations Secretary. Okay, United Nations. General, to the IMF. IMF, that's bankers. Uh, the EU. The EU. There's Petersburg Climate Dialogue, the Canadian government, the COP26. Canadian government. 
universities network and business leaders around the world to see this. So businesses. So what we really need to do is we need to listen to the EU, World Economic Forum, IMF bankers, and all the big billionaire businesses and the Canadian government. That's going to give us the way forward. Is this a world leader that you want? Is this the leader of the Church of England? Officially. I mean, look at this on the screen here. Look, this is the Supreme Governor of the Church of England. All right. And then you have the flag. And then it says incumbent King Charles III since 8 September 2022. Style His Majesty, Residence Buckingham Palace, Consulting Instrument, the Act of Supremacy of 1558, Precursor, Supreme Head of the Church of England, Supreme, yeah, Formation, 1558. He's not just a king. He's the leader of a world religion when he speaks. Let's keep listening. Is he, and then this is the, this is the title of the show, Is He Antichrist? What is now? There's many antichrists we learn from St. John's epistles, I and mean, there is the antichrist. And I'm not saying he's the antichrist. I've got a great book coming out, can't wait for you to see it. It's completely finished, it's printed. We're good to go. It's coming out. The launch team is reading it, giving me some feedback. Let me show a picture of it. Here it is. Here's the new book, looks fantastic. I talk about the Antichrist. So King Charles is not the Antichrist, but any an Antichrist is anyone who is undermining the divinity of Christ, the unity of the Father and the Son, Christ coming in the flesh. And the Church of England, beginning with Henry VIII, is a complete attack on the one true church for the sake of sex and divorce. Here's Charles III as he continues. To recovery. I'm going to back it up. And as we move from rescue to recovery, therefore we have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. Why do all these globalists feel that the 2020 health crisis was this tiny window. We just got to get it done. We got to get it done. We got to get it done. We got this. What's going on there behind the curtain? ...and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. It is an opportunity we have never had before and may never have again. So we must use all the levers we have at our disposal, knowing that each and every one of us has a vital role to play. Everything I have tried to do and urge over the past 50 years has been done with our children and grandchildren in mind. So I can only encourage us all to think big and act now. So it's got to be done now. For those of you that maybe don't believe me on the role of the king or queen of England, within the Church of England. So just think for a moment if, uh, you know, I'm an American. What if there was the Church of United States of America? Wouldn't that be funny? And somehow the president was the head of it. He got to appoint bishops. 
Uh, he got to approve liturgical changes. I mean, essentially, it's a pope. We refer to this as Caesaropapism, Caesaropapism, Caesaropapism. That's what the Church of England believes. I'm going to read you from the 39 Articles. Now, the 39 Articles is the dogmatic confession or profession of faith of the Church of England. When you're ordained in the Church of England, you have to um, swear allegiance to this statement. It is the creedal formulation of the Church of England, of Anglicans. Article 37 in the 39 Articles reads like this. The Queen's Majesty, or the King's Majesty, has the chief power in this realm of England and other her dominions, unto whom the chief government of all estates of this realm, whether they be ecclesiastical or civil, in all causes doth appertain, and is not, nor ought to be, subject to any foreign jurisdiction. I'm going to pause here. So, the King or the Queen, whoever is reigning, has the government of all estates, whether they be civil, that is secular, right, the state, or ecclesiastical, the church. Who has the highest authority? The bishop? The Archbishop of Canterbury? No, the king. If it's Henry VIII, so be it. Edward VI, so be it. Elizabeth I, so be it. Elizabeth II, so be it. King Charles III, as it is now, so be it. It continues, we give not to our princes the ministering either of God's word or the sacraments, but only that prerogative which we see to have been given always to all godly princes in Holy Scripture by God himself. That is, that they should rule all estates and degrees committed to their charge by God, whether they be ecclesiastical or temporal, and restrain with the civil sword the stubborn and evildoers. The Bishop of Rome hath no jurisdiction in this realm of England, end quote. So what it says here is, look, we're not saying, to their credit, we're not saying that the king or queen of England, as the head of the church, is a priest. So the king of England, Charles III, can't administer the word, that is preaching, and cannot administer the sacraments. So he can't, you know, I guess, lead a Holy Communion service or marry people or whatever. But, however, when it comes to all estates and degrees committed, whether ecclesiastical or temporal, so anything in the church of England, not the real church, the Catholic church, Charles III has the final say. The buck, not the buck, the pound stops with Charles III as the supreme head of the church. And then they tack on to the end, P.S., the Bishop of Rome, they don't even call him the Pope, the Bishop of Rome hath no jurisdiction in this realm of England, end quote. So it just straight up defies the papacy. In fact, Charles III, as King of England, claims all the papal power that the Pope has in his jurisdiction as Pope, he claims all of that for the United Kingdom. Isn't that crazy? Our Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth, except for the United Kingdom, shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, except for the United Kingdom, shall be loosed in heaven. Is that what Jesus said in Matthew 16? Did Jesus somehow say, 
yeah, those islands off of continental Europe, they don't apply to Peter. <laughs> no. It's completely ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. And my concern is, now when you look at the future of the Antichrist as depicted by St. Paul and by St. John in the book of the Apocalypse, what you see is that the Antichrist will in fact be a secular ruler who will rule from Jerusalem. He will be Jewish because he claims to be the Jewish Messiah. And he assumes all the, the world's, everything in the world that's religious, he assumes under his supremacy. The future Antichrist will do that. I don't, this is not something that King Charles III does, but what the kings and queens of England have done since the 1500s and to this day, even though it looks more innocent to this day, is assuming the power of Jesus Christ to rule the church on earth. Cesaro papism. It's antichrist. It's sacrilegious. It's blasphemous. Yeah, but Taylor, I mean, did you see Kate's wedding dress? It's so beautiful. It's so majestic. It's so dignified. I grant all of that. It's one of the reasons why I was an Anglican priest myself is the charm and the glory and the beauty of what England was and even continues to be, both in the state and in the church. Joy and I had our honeymoon in England. We look back on it now, we're like, we were such dweebs. We were nerds. Instead of like having a honeymoon like on a beach and dancing and romance and beach life and fun, we went like a bunch of nerds to England. <laughs> you know, we went to like, Salisbury and Stonehenge, and we went to Scotland and Stratford upon Avon. So we were big time Anglophiles as as young kids, recently married in our early twenties. I was twenty three. Joy was twenty two. So how do we as Catholics appreciate this? And I know traditional Catholics in England are divided on this issue. However, most of the traditional Catholics in England that I have met, and I'd be happy to take questions and comments on this in just a moment, um, are very much in awe of the royalty in England and pray for them and incorporate uh, prayers, liturgical prayers. Um, and I think, you know, let me just read from Romans uh chapter 16, where St. Paul, speaking of Nero, tells us to honor pagan kings. Now, I think there's a distinction here between Nero, who's a total pagan, and kings and queens of England who claim to be Christian, claim to be Trinitarian, are baptized, and yet openly resist the one true church. I think you know, that's that's a problem. That's different than just bad kings. We're talking about people who claim to actually be right with Christ and yet are not. All right, I'm pulling up here the passage from Romans. I think I said 16, but it's actually, I think, 13. Let me just get in there real quick. 
pulling it up on the computer. Yes, here we are. Verse 13, uh, chapter chapter 13, verse 1. This is St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. Actually, let me put on the screen for you. I know you guys like the screen screenshot. Let's see if this works. Boom. There it is. All right. St. Paul says, let every soul be subject to higher power. All right, we're back. We lost our uh, connection. We'll continue on here. Hopefully everybody gets rerouted. Yeah, we're back. Okay, good. Welcome back, everyone. We lost our connection at YouTube, but we're back. Okay, so St. Paul says in uh, chapter 13, For he is God's ministers to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, fear. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Here St. Paul explicitly teaches that the secular ruler, even the Roman ruler, who's wicked, pagan, serves idols, kills people, he has power from God. And he has the right to yield the sword and kill you if you do evil things. Read this and tell me that St. Paul doesn't believe that the death penalty can be justly used. Clearly St. Paul does. Verse 5, Wherefore be subject of necessity, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Verse 6, For therefore also you pay tribute, for they are ministers of God, serving unto this purpose. Render therefore to all men their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So here, St. Paul is clearly teaching in Romans 6 that we do honor evil princes, kings, emperors that we're subject to. Just because they're bad doesn't mean that we don't have to pay taxes or be subject to them. Now, there is an exception in Catholic Church history, and I'm referring to the papal bull um, by Pope Paul IV. It's called Cum Ex Ap- Apostolatus Officio. I'm going to call it Cum Ex. Cum Ex is used by Sedeve Contest all the time to show that anyone who becomes a heretic, whether he is a bishop, cardinal, and even a pope, they are removed from office. But what's interesting about the Cumex document is that it also says that courtships, baronies, marquisats, that's marquis, uh, dukedoms, kingdoms, and imperial power can also be lost by heresy. And this is why Pope Pius V declared Queen Elizabeth I excommunicate and said, I believe, that English Catholics did not owe their allegiance because she had entered into heresy and schism with the Pope. This document, Cumex Apostolatus, says, but it even by episcopal, archiepiscopal, patriarchal, and primatial dignity, or by any other greater ecclesiastical dignity, papacy, and even the honor of the cardinalate, cardinalate, or by the secular authority, Count, Baron, Marquis, Duke, king or emperor and as such they must be avoided and stripped of all human consolation now i've heard debates on whether this document is still in effect it still applies after the 1917 code of canon law even said of a contest 
representatives like Bishop Sanborn, who is associated with the RCI, says that this does, is not binding. I might be wrong on that. Uh, pardon to, to, Bishop, to Sanborn if that's the case. But it's interesting to see that at this time period, at least under Pope Paul IV, and this is in the 1550s, maybe 1560, uh, at this time, you know, if you're a secular duke or archduke or count, you can be deprived by heresy. And this is why I think that we as Catholics should be very suspicious, careful, and on guard about King Charles III. It's not just like Joe Biden, who claims to be a Catholic, but thwarts, undermines, denies Catholic teaching in his public policy. And I'm thinking here the A word and also lifestyle issues. But here we have a man who does the exact same thing. He doesn't claim to be a Catholic. I might even say Biden is worse here. I guess we could have a, a little game here. Maybe in the comments, you know, what's worse? Biden, who actually is Catholic, but does all this stuff, or Charles III, who claims to be baptized, claims to be a Christian, and yet claims to be the head of a religious body, which is kind of crazy. Okay, I'm going to pause here, and I'm going to take some questions and some comments. Love to hear your thoughts on this, especially if you're a Catholic. Uh, how do you understand the role in the world of the English monarchs who claim to be the supreme governors of a world religion. By the way, amongst Christians, the biggest group are the Catholics. Number two are the Eastern Orthodox. And I think maybe there's certain Protestant groups that have come close to that. But right up in there, you know, third place is the Church of England. I mean, it's in Uganda, it's in Rwanda, it's in South Africa, it's in Brazil, it's, of course, the United States is the Episcopal Church, uh, it's in China. It's all over because the British Empire went all over the world, and they took the Church of England with them. Okay, comments and questions. Here we go. Bob Williams says, I believe the Antichrist will be Prince William. Charles, I don't believe. Okay, I just have to disagree. The Yes, the Antichrist will be young, charismatic, but the Antichrist will most definitely come from the house of Israel. He will claim to be the Judaic Messiah and will be believed by the world. So, it's, it's not going to be uh, Prince William. More comments and questions coming in. Uh, Jean Tipton, the poor mom tried to outlive him. She knew him better than anyone. I agree. I think everyone kind of knows that uh, Charles III is not going to be a, a uh, adequate monarch. Ano, Dr. Taylor, can you make a video about the rapture and the 1,000 years of peace? Yes, I just wrote a 300-page book on it, and it'll be available soon. And once that book comes out, I will be addressing some of these topics. The name of the book is, as I discussed earlier, I'll put it on the screen in case you just joined us, Antichrist and Apocalypse. That's my new book, my 11th book that I've written. All right, Mike Oscar uh, says, Dr. Marshall, from your experience, what were the biggest justifications made for the existence, legitimacy of the Church of England and how to respond? So 
when I was a Anglican priest, we used to say that if you look at the early church, Constantine the Great is the one who calls the first council and regulates Trinitarianism for the church together with the papacy. But we looked at, you know, in the early church, you have this strong imperial secular power working with the church and it worked out in the long run. And so that precedent in 313 and in 325 of Constantine is the same precedent that should be done in our time. That was that argument. I don't obviously believe that anymore. I'm a Catholic. But that was their justification for it. Kiki says, Charles is the puppet of the WEF, and I worry that that is the case. There's a lot of people who think the royal family, not Queen Elizabeth II herself, but perhaps King Charles III, is compromised, is blackmailable, and therefore they're going to push and, and squeeze them in order for them to push globalism, the Great Reset, and those policies that go along with it. Dr. Jonathan Gamil, do you think King Charles will persecute Catholicism? Yes and no. True Catholicism, the kind that has been in existence since Jesus Christ, those claims which come along with, for example, the defense of life from conception to natural death, um, marriage is one man and one woman, yes, he will persecute that. It's against the globalist regime. The wishy-washy modernists who claim to be Catholic, who dwell at Westminster Cathedral and who are the archbishops and bishops of the Catholic Church in England who go along to get along, I don't think he's going to persecute them. He likes them right where they're at, the ecumenical movement. Okay, so PMLM says, I heard Charles stated some time ago he would change his title from Defender of All Religions, something like that. So, yes, his current title, which was not actually perpetual, given by the Pope to Henry VIII, is Defender of the Faith. The faith, singular. Charles III has said publicly that he would consider changing it to defender of the faiths, plural. That he's going to defend Hindus, defend Muslims, defend Protestants, defend Catholics. Which is an abuse of the title given by the papacy to Henry VIII. As if it matters. We Catholics don't believe any of the English monarchs since Henry VIII are defenders of the faith. Not even really, we would say, Queen Mary. I mean, she was a Catholic, but she wasn't the theological defender that the title implies. All right. Joanna Metcalf says, Years ago, they used to say Charles' outspoken political stuff was him getting it out of the way because he can't be outspoken as a king. Very well, very well maybe. That's a good point. He's definitely going to have to tuck it in now. Andrew Edwards, Walsingham, Walsingham. When will you do a talk on Walsingham? So Walsingham is the capital T-H-E Marian apparition site or Marian site in England. Uh, it goes back before the Reformation. I've always wanted to go there and I've never made it. It's definitely on my bucket list, so I need to get there. All right, we got a super chat here from Jimmy. Thanks for the super chat, Jimmy. He says, hey, Dr. Marshall, have you ever thought of making a video on St. Joan of Arc? 
I just finished Mark Twain's book on her was pretty interesting. Yeah, I will. Um, Joan of Arc is fascinating. And man, I tell you what, the LMNOPLGBT agenda is just trying to harness her legacy to appropriate her as sort of this icon and saint of uh, the trans community. And it's just a real pity. I did a show on that with James Martin, actually, his website, uh, promoting that appropriation of taking Joan of Arc. And the whole idea is Joan of Arc in battle was accused of wearing men's clothes. And during her trial, she was accused of wearing men's clothes and she admitted, but she said the reason she wore pants is though if she fell in battle or was knocked down, that she would not be raped, right? So she's not wearing a skirt. That's the reason why she wore pants. She didn't say, well, deep down inside, I was misgendered at birth and so I wear pants. She was wearing it for her chastity as a consecrated virgin to Jesus Christ. She's out there in a battlefield called by God, surrounded by thousands of violent men, right? If she's captured or knocked down, she could easily be raped. All these men would love to have said, I'm the one who raped the, you know, the witch or the fake prophet Joan of Arc. So she wore pants for that reason. And yeah, she was burnt at the stake for that and for other reasons. But yeah, so just them saying that she was trans for that, mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's just wicked sinful. Um, Imperium, I haven't heard this before, but Imperium Magistrate, she only wore men's clothes uh, because the English stripped her of her clothes while in prison and gave her men's clothes. Might be the case, but I think she also wore men's clothes on the battlefield. That's part of the accusation. But yeah, I mean, it's all about utility here. She wasn't saying, screw the culture, I'm going to dress like a man. That was that was never Joan of Arc's thing. It was utility. Does Kissinger still have any power in the Masonic world? I don't know. I once ate at a restaurant in D.C. at a table next to him long ago. This is a great point right here by Renee. She says, many of the cathedrals which still stand today in England were constructed by medieval Catholics. I, don't, I think we could almost say not many, all. The cathedrals in England that are the Church of England are stolen from the Catholic Church. They once belonged to the Catholic Church. And Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. May you please give us those buildings back after 500 years of theft. You know, another thing that I didn't mention in today's show is, and I talk about this in my book, Infiltration, the origins of masonry are very much caught up in the nobility and even at a certain point, the royalty in England. So there is a deep connection of Freemasonry and post-Reformation nobility and royalty in England, especially the Scottish Rite Masonry. Look into it. Do your own research. Oh my goodness. Don Marie, a $50 super chat. Well, that's very generous of you, Don. She says, totally agree with you. Can't wait to read your book. Thank you so much. Very nice of you. Uh, Laura Anderson just said divorce. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. 
you know, that it's almost like a generational demon or a generational spirit that has been embedded in. The, I mean, I know that the current monarchical line is not related to Henry VIII, but it's almost like this institution has been corrupted by a demon of divorce. Um, and, you know, hopefully William Kate, the next generation can somehow break that bond, that demonic bond and have chaste, holy, joyful, beautiful marriages. But yeah, it seems to just kind of be a recurring theme. Robert says, Charles is an ill man, an autoimmune disease, perhaps to involve the kidneys and the heart. Pay attention to a swollen red hand. I don't think the glo this globalist will be on the throne for too many years. That I did not know. Let's see. Traditional Thomas, you might find it Engli uh, interesting to know that the Walsingham Shrine celebrates the new mass, even though they are Anglican. I actually didn't know that. In fact, a lot of the new Anglican liturgies are just copies of the Novus Ordo, sadly. Sadly. Annette says, King Charles is a Freemason. Let's not forget that the Catholic Church changed in England due to Henry VIII's ego. England was predominantly Catholic before Henry denounced the church. There's a great book. It's kind of academic, a little dry, but it's called Stripping of the Altars. And it looks at firsthand accounts of what local lay people, parish priests during the reign of Henry VIII, what it was like on the in the parish life when all these things were happening. I mean, remember, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, no news, no newspapers. People down in the local towns of maybe 400 people or 200 people, they were getting these decrees like, hey, we're not having the Latin Mass anymore. Or your priest, the priest shouldn't wear his vestments anymore. And he would say, well, I'm going to keep wearing them, or I'll use a little bit of Latin, or we'll use Latin in the Our Father. And it was kind of this devastating impact on the faith of people and then how they continued to be Catholic in secret ways, either completely Catholic or in this sort of syncretistic, weird way of kind of maybe going to the Anglican liturgy, but still praying the rosary and keeping icons and statues. And I don't know, it was a very interesting time in the books called Stripping of the Altars. And it shows that the lay people were not at all fans of Henry VIII and then Edward VI and then Elizabeth I changing everything to Protestant. They were truly in their hearts Catholics. And it took a two, three generations to beat it out of them. A lot of people say Shakespeare, William Shakespeare was still sort of that first, second generation, still had this sort of Catholic ethos to the way he thought. Dr. Marshall, what are your thoughts on Nostradamus? Zero interest in it. Seems like divination, not a fan. If Charles is the Antichrist, he's not the Antichrist. He's a Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist. Are his knights anti-knights? I think that's supposed to be funny. I don't know. Jake, what do you think of Jordan Peterson? He has some good ideas. I'm looking forward to him being a Catholic. Here is another super chat. Parts of all, what is your opinion of the Anglican ordinariates? Do you think they have a future for Catholicism and their respective regions? So I was an Anglican priest 
I was in the process to be ordained as a married Catholic priest. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know this about me. I was integral, instrumental in working on writing and developing what became the Anglican Ordinarian. I was working on that in D.C. And I pro personally processed many former Anglican priests who were married into the Anglican priesthood. I don't recommend that now while I was in the process because I worked for what was called the Pastoral Provision, which is based in D.C. at the time. I was in the process as I learned more about celibacy. I decided, you know, I should not be a Catholic priest. This is why early on I met Cardinal McCarrick. Cardinal McCarrick said he was going to help me get ordained. I didn't know anything about Cardinal McCarrick back then. This is why I met Archbishop Cardinal Whirl. This is why I met Arch then Bishop Farrell, who's now Cardinal Farrell in Camerlingo. As a matter of fact, Bishop Farrell made me lector, acolyte, Eucharistic minister, and candidate for holy orders in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. a long time ago. So I was part of this process. What do I think of the Anglican ordinariates? It's the best form of the Novus Ordo, but I'm not a fan of the Novus Ordo. A lot of them will say, no, 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 it's the, it's the TLM, it's the traditional Latin Mass in English, Elizabethan English. It's not actually. Um, they do have a very beautiful translation of Eucharistic Prayer 1, the Roman canon. I like that a lot. But I'm a TLM guy. And when I've been to the Anglican Ordinariate Mass, the Anglican Use Mass, it's hard. I mean, I've prayed those prayers up on an altar. I've, and to me, I, I, I don't think that personally, because of my past as an Anglican cleric, as a priest, I use scare quotes there, that I could continue to say the words of Cramner and these Protestant words and still somehow retain my Catholicism. It's a struggle for me personally. And so that's why I don't, I'm not involved in it. As you know, I'm a traditional Latin Mass guy, 120%. All right, I'm going to do a couple more. Got to go pick up my my son, so I have to bounce out here. Um, did he give you a Grover t-shirt? No, he didn't. Inside joke, watch the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast, you know what that means. All right, a couple more questions. Uh, some of these questions and comments are a little bit off the wall. So I'm not going to handle those. I'm going to try to get a little more tame here. When did divorce become acceptable for the crown? Henry VIII did it. Uh, hey, babe, I'm on a live video. What You, you need something, babe? Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be down just a bit. I got to run out. Uh, because Charles's wife is deceased... I guess that makes him free. Um, I don't know all the ins and outs of that. But, you know, the Church of England allows for divorce, but I understand that they don't. It's sort of a shame and a hush-hush in the royal line. Even though Henry VIII did it, here's the big boy. Here he is. Husky. Where'd he go? Oh, here's my Grover shirt. Boom. Where is the husky Henry VIII? There he is. Technically, though, Henry VIII had the Archbishop of Canterbury write him out in an annulment. So it wasn't really 
divorce. I mean, the patron saint of easy and cheap, fast annulments is this big boy, husky boy right here, Henry VIII. All right, one more question. How can Charles even be king when he broke the rules? In documentaries, it stated that Charles proposed to Camilla before she married. Before, and he finally broke her down. I don't know. Look, it's the Church of England. He he thinks he's the head of a church. I mean, they can break the rule. They broke the rules with Rome. They just keep breaking the rules. Like, if you're a rule breaker, a line stepper, you're going to be a line stepper. I mean, I don't understand why we think... If you think you're the head of a church, why you would think rules apply to you. They don't think they do. They get special treatment. All right. So let's pray for King Charles III. Wouldn't it be great if he or his sons or his grandkids returned to Catholicism? As it's written right now, if you become a Catholic, you lose your right to the crown. That needs to be rewritten. Straight up rewritten that's bad real bad all right make sure you're praying your rosary every single day if you're not praying your rosary you're not on the team find a traditional latin mass raise your kids in the catholic faith have a smile on your face read your bible every day i recommend three chapters a day if you want to read the bible in a whole year the catholic bible i've got a plan it's a one-year plan dewey rames Get that at New St. Thomas Institute, newstthomas.com. That's where I teach online classes, newstthomas.com. Go check it out. And I will be having announcing a new curriculum and a new class. We've got, I think, eight or nine courses right now. I've got online courses on every book of the New Testament, every book of the Old Testament, Thomas Aquinas, philosophy, theology, apologetics, church fathers, church councils, medieval theology, uh, counter-reformation and modern all these classes I've taught online, hundreds and hundreds of hours, and you can take those classes with me at newstthomas.com and get your sheet on how to read the Bible in a year. You can also get that sheet if you become a patron of this channel. You go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. You can make a one-time or a repeated donation that helps me write my books, which I just finished this book, thanks to the Patreon people and do this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Audible, and any iTunes everywhere. And I'll send you signed books, thank you gifts. You can get all that at patreon.com forward slash Marshall. In fact, if you want a signed copy of Infiltration, there's a level. Go to patreon.com forward slash Marshall, and I'll sign it and send it out to you. Just look for the appropriate level. All right. We're now going to pray a Hail Mary that England, her leadership, her monarchy, her parliament returned to the one true Catholic faith. Oremos. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus, Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or Pernobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Amen. Sancti. Amen. All holy kings and queens of England, pray for us. Amen. Sancti. Amen. Thanks for watching. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be 